about a month or two later, I'm teaching the kids. And normally before I transition, I'll let them ask me like random questions and I answer the random questions. And uh, one of the kids was like, we're in class now. Mr. Fernandez, you're real smart. And I'm like, all right, thanks. And then the young man said, why aren't you teaching at a white school? Wow. And I was like, I was stopped everything. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. I look like you guys. I come to work every day, dress professionally. Um, you're learning in my class. We're, we're having a good time. And your first thought is, I don't deserve to have a good teacher. I should be teaching white kids. Why should I be teaching white kids over kids that look like me? And then from that moment, I was like, yeah, I'm going to be in this classroom for a little bit. Black males make up 2% of the teaching workforce in America. This widely used stat was mentioned by Secretary Arnie Duncan during a panel discussion at a Teach Town Hall meeting in 2015 toward an effort to sound the alarm for more Black men in the classroom. Black men need to express their agency and positionality, and more importantly, articulate their importance in the educational space. That is why I'm pleased to have our next guest, Mr. Jason Fernandez. For this podcast, it was important for me to highlight voices of men and women of color to uncover the nuances that exist when they show up in the classroom. In this podcast, you will hear Jason share stories about his impact, the role that music and arts can have in changing children's lives, how he approaches history education, and what inspires him to keep going in the field of education. And now, for episode four of the We See You Teacher podcast, Dig Deep for the Wisdom, featuring Mr. Jason Fernandez. I'm pleased today to have Mr. Jason Fernandez on the podcast, a veteran educator, high school teacher, uh, serves as the social studies department chair at his high school. Uh, Mr. Fernandez is also the president of the Beta Beta Lambda chapter, the Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. Uh, and uh, Mr. Fernandez, thank you for taking the time to join us on the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. Well, let's get right into it. I wanted to uh, share a statistic with you that's commonly shared about 2% of the teaching force being black males. Uh, I wanted to ask you, with only 2% of black men choosing this field, why did you choose the field of education? (laughs) Oh, that's a great question. Um, Education really wasn't my initial choice as a field. Um, when I was in college, I was a political science major. Uh, I took my LSAT. I scored well on my LSAT. I had a good GPA, you know, at Florida State. Um, so my initial plan was to go to law school. So that was the initial plan. But I was like, let me teach for a year or two, save up some money, and then I'll go to school. Um, my first year in the classroom was interesting. I did middle school. Um, and I kind of got the new teacher treatment. They gave me like, I was a floating teacher. Uh, so I moved from classroom to classroom. Um, they gave me like a, an inclusion class uh, that I was supposed to co-teach with the ESE coach, which, you know, never came. So I had a very interesting first year of teaching, but I kind of enjoyed it. So um, even though I taught middle school, I was volunteering, working with a high school, um, with two high school band programs. So I was like, let me try high school. Let me try high school for a year. I'll teach for a year, and then I'm done. So um, middle of the fall of the following year, I get picked up at a high school. 
So I'm at a high school. I take over for a teacher that um, that they removed from the classroom. Um, and I, I kind of liked it. I, I enjoyed it. So my first or second week at the school, um, I had one class and security just came in my classroom. And I'm like, what's going on? They're like, oh, no, you don't understand. The last teacher, every single day, he will call security during this class. And I'm like, well, what do you see happening? He's like, all the kids are working in groups. Okay. So <laughs> he's like, I thought you were just trying to, you know, they were like, we just thought you were trying to hide it or, or whatever. I said, no, like they're, they're fine. Um, so that, that told me, okay, maybe I'm in the right field. Uh, then about a month or two later, I'm teaching the kids and normally before I transition, I'll let them ask me like random questions and I answer their random questions. And, uh, one of the kids was like, we're in class now, Mr. Fernandez, you're real smart. And I'm like, all right, thanks. And then the young man said, why aren't you teaching at a white school? Wow. And I was like, <laughs> I was stopped everything. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. I look like you guys. I come to work every day, dressed professionally. Um, you're learning in my class. We're, we're having a good time. And your first thought is, I don't deserve to have a good teacher. I should be teaching white kids. Why should I be teaching white kids over kids that look like me? And then from that moment, I was like, yeah, I'm going to be in this classroom for a little bit. And next year, I'll start my 15th year in the classroom. That's a phenomenal story. Um, and it goes to sort of the psyche of some of these um, children about how they've been conditioned to think. And, and you being that role model really made a difference for them. Uh, what, and uh, you kind of alluded to it, but what, what keeps you going uh, in, the, in this field? The, big, the kids. The biggest thing is the kids. I can... I can tell you, like, I can give you all the stories of all the different kids, but some, a lot of times these kids just need exposure. They need opportunity and they need somebody to push them. And I just seems like every year I have my one kid, you know, um, who, when I ask them what their, what their plans are, what they want to do, Oh, I think I'll just go to BC. And I'm like, no, you're going to a four year college. You're going to come to my classroom. We're going to fill out these applications. And these are the schools that you're going to apply to. And every year I always have a few that are like that. And just to see how much they grow. When, once they get there, you know, they'll come back, they'll come see me or I'll run into them. Thank you for pushing me. Um, you know, I didn't know that that was a possibility, like all the time. And then to see what they're doing now. So I have one of my kids who I did that to. I was like, you're going to the school. <laughs> you know, he never visited the school, never and he went there and he flourished. He um, graduated. He got his master's degree. Um, and now he even started his own youth mentoring organization where he wants to, you know, impact kids. And he's doing a great job of that. So just to see those stories, that's that's what kind of keeps me pushing. That's phenomenal. And I think that um, I just it, it makes me think, had you not been in that space at that time for these years, where would that those students have gone? Right. Um, it, it's sort of a rhetorical question, but it makes you think about it because uh, this 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 belief that you have in them, um, how you said it so matter of factly. No, you're going to this school. <laughs> you're going to this college. Then the students they don't know what they don't know at mm -hmm. that point in their lives. They think they know it all, right. but they don't know. Um, so it's just uh, it's really interesting uh, with you being uh, a history teacher. 
social studies educator, um, there are uh, two critical areas that I believe are lacking with young people. And um, I'm going to start with social studies because the education system by default has sort of eradicated some critical points of our nation's history. And uh, with you being a high school teacher, Mm -hmm. and um, specifically as it relates to the black and brown children um, and and the people of color in your classroom um, as an educator, um, how do you uh, show up in the classroom in, 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 in light of teaching such a critical uh, subject like social studies, where a lot of these topics that have happened in our nation's history um, actually um, come up in your classroom? And the students at this level, at the high school level, start to ask you these critical questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you navigate with that? Well, uh, one of the biggest things, especially with being a social, study edu- social studies educator, is you know, the book is not the end-all, be-all. And a lot of the times we get kind of stuck in that because it's easy. The book gives us worksheets and mm-hmm. things of that nature. But the best way to get to the kids is give them those primary sources. Let them read how these people thought and what these people did. Um, and, you know, U.S. history books especially and different history books they have, they run into the same kind of issues of, you know, like the heroification of, of folks that, that kind of puts them on this pedestal. And what you have to realize is, you know, there's a lot more to what the history books give you about these people, you know, and whether it, and you have to show the kids both sides. So I'm not going to just, and they were regular humans and they did things that you would probably find questionable, or they, they believed in things that you completely disagree with. But let me point that out. You get what I'm saying? Um, between that and then also, I think the biggest thing where the history books kind of kind of leave us in a lurch is you have to make that connection with what's happening then to what's happening now. And a lot of times, I think once the kids see that there's a connection there, they kind of find that it's a little bit more relevant to why they need to know history. Because, you know, every time the kids would be like, why do I need to know this? This has already happened. Mm-hmm. But once you start to see history repeat itself, especially especially in these times mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of important to to kind of get that uh, and and kind of make the kids question stuff don't just take what i say don't just take what the book says do some research you guys have the whole internet at your fingertips mm-hmm. you know now not everything is reputable and then you gotta go through all that with them but dig you know encourage them to dig dig deep for the wisdom is what my old u.s history teacher uh, uh recipes who passed away he uh used to always say that dig deep for the wisdom and you, you just have to encourage the kids to do it absolutely and uh you know when uh sometimes these, these subjects i teach elementary school and sometimes subjects such as black history come up and uh well mr nicholas they ask me tough questions like why does the sign say for colored only what does that mean mm-hmm. what does colored even mean right. um and they'll ask me questions like uh segregation like they separated people so it's like even as a black teacher sometimes you get uh not concerned but you just want to make sure that you preserve their innocence so to speak but also expose them to the truth mm-hmm. um, because they need to know what segregation was mm-hmm. and that, you know, they weren't always accepted in every venue. Um, so it, it's just, it, it makes that more critical um, to, to make sure that you are using yourself as a black teacher, 
how do you sort of um, make sure that they know that their history was important, that their history was, is valued, and it's not just slavery and oppression? And how do you empower your <laughs> students to, you know? So that, that's that a great part? question. Um, one of the classes I do teach is African-American history. And I start the year off every the same every way, like, where does black history start for you? And invariably, the answer is always slavery. And I'm like, no, it's it's bigger than that. And let me show you, you know, I start with the ancient African civilizations and show you the contribution, contributions they made and also the truth behind it. A lot of this stuff that they came up with was kind of co-opted by the different groups that invaded the area. So, you know, you look at Greek philosophy and, you know, some of these guys turned out 42 books. What person really wrote 42 books within a lifetime? And that's questionable. How, somewhere, somehow, this person found that knowledge. So I try to bring in sources like um, Stolen Legacy, um, you know, to kind of explain that it all really started with us. And then people just found ways to kind of make it palatable for everybody else to accept. Um, so that's kind of the, one of the, the bigger points. You have to realize where you came from. And and things of that nature. Also, you know, they're high school students. So I have to keep it real with them, um, especially when it comes to police interactions. Some of them already have had interactions with police, some of, you know, and things of that nature. So explaining to them, hey, the system doesn't work the same for us that it works for others and just making you aware you can you can be as right as rain every time. But at the end of the day, your goal and the police officer's goal is to go home. Mm-hmm. And so this is this is how you go. You get what I'm saying? So if we have those tough conversations. Um, just you have to understand how the deck is stacked against you, why the deck is stacked against you, and how to kind of maneuver in between. And those are some of those topics that you kind of hit throughout the school year, uh, just in various conversations, whether it be in the classroom setting or, or in an individual setting with a student. Yeah, absolutely. And then um, and to shift gears, uh, you work... Uh, with the band at your school, um, you know, assisting how you can. And, um, you know, the impact, especially with, uh, you know, students of color in terms of uh, arts and music education and how that can really provide uh, an avenue, like you talked about, uh, for them to really uh, spark something within them that they may may have uh, may have not have known about, um, such as a musical talent. Um how can we reinvigorate that spark in them in terms of arts or music education uh, for them to want to play an instrument and stick to it and organize themselves into something like a band that requires discipline? <laughs> uh, the thing with band, you know, band has a near and dear place in my heart. I picked up a, a trombone in middle school and I played it in middle school and high school and college. Even though I went to Florida State, I was in the family marching 100, uh, which was like, like when I was a sixth grader, I told everybody I'm going to be in the family marching 100. So uh, that that was pretty awesome. But so I like to try to work with kids and kind of instill that same passion. Uh, what they realize it's more than just learning an instrument. Uh, some of my lifelong friends are people that I met in band. Even to this day, my best friend was somebody I met in band. Uh, so there's a lot more that goes into it. And study after study keeps on showing that the more involved the student is in clubs and activities, uh, the more academically successful that they are so we use band but you know come interim report time every single band member has to give us their interim report we evaluate that we take our seniors 
Um, we do like counseling with them. Hey, uh, let's make sure you apply to schools. What's your plan after you leave high school? Uh, so it's, it's a lot deeper than that. And I think, you know, we, music as a whole took a hit with the FCAT. Um, and there was a great article, an old article in the New Times about that, uh, where, you know, if kids weren't successful in the FCAT, they started to double dose them. So, you know, if you didn't pass the reading of the math, now you took two reading classes, two math classes, which left you only your science, your social studies. And, um, and that was pretty much it. That was your schedule. So they cut out a lot of arts programs took a big hit, especially during that time, during the, the early 2000s, late 90s. Cause if you looked at, if you looked at band before that in Dade County, some of these bands had 250 members. Like I'm talking Miami central, Miami Carroll city. Um, some of these band programs were huge in, even in Broward, you saw some, some pretty large bands. So I think now people are starting to realize that the arts is kind of needed. Uh, so you see that, you know, they were talking about STEM and now they're talking about steam, mm-hmm. adding the arts into it. I, I think it's, it's important to make the kids realize that, Hey, you need to be a well-rounded individual and you might not play this instrument in college or professionally, but you're going to be introduced to discipline. You're going to be introduced to people. You're going to be, you know, all of these habits are going to make you successful knowing how to, to take advantage of your time. You know, like, I have to get better on my instruments, so I have to practice, but I have to do my homework, but I have to do this. So learning time management and all of those things. So it's a lot deeper than just playing an instrument. And it also opens doors. We had kids that didn't even think about college, but then they were able to get a scholarship to cover either part of their college or full tuition. And like I told them, you don't even have to major in music. You can major in whatever, but you have the school paying Mm-hmm. Um, for you to just play an instrument. Money. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that entices uh, students. So our band program, especially over the past couple of years, we've kind of, we almost like tripled in size. So as kids start to see, you know, everybody wants to be part of something great. Yeah. And as kids start to see, oh, the band is doing this, the band is doing that, let me join the band. So that's kind of been the big push. Yeah, it is influential. And um, I wanted to talk about your work with uh, high school kids, um, our young people, uh, you know, uh, society is concerned for them. We pray for them. Uh, and, uh, they have a lot of pressures. You have the social media aspect of it, which is huge. Um, you're literally among them on a daily basis, uh, with your work. Uh, so what's up, what do our kids need and how do we get to them? If we could get rid of social media, the world, the world would be a better place. Um, social media is rough because the kids use that for validation. And, you know, and one of the things, like, I always try to kind of explain to, to them, I don't care what people think. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you need to get to that point where you don't care what other people think. Because at the end of the day, like, they don't care about you. <laughs> so why are we giving so much validation? Uh, to social media, but but we see that, and and you see that especially come prom season and stuff like that. And I'm like, dude, you couldn't bring a pencil to school, but now you're driving a prom in a Lamborghini. But <laughs> it's it's about, unfortunately, it's about what society values. Unfortunately, it's about um, those moral character, that moral character that's instilled in in these kids. So I think that's the biggest challenge has been social media by far, uh, as far as getting the kids to be like. Hey, um, just, <laughs> we can't just always want to do it for the gram, <laughs> but, but, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of been the challenge, but kind of sticky, kind of giving them some, some moral focus, yeah. you know, explaining, 
that it's okay to just do the right thing. You get what I'm saying? And we have like those types of conversations a lot um, because that's not what's valued right now in society. Everything is about trying to get ahead by whichever way I can get ahead. And, you know, it's, there's a right way to do things and there's a wrong way to do things. And eventually, as long as you do things the right way, everything will work out. And then, and that's kind of one of the things that I try to really kind of push into the kids. Like it's okay to be morally right. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, I, I think. That's how, do they, how do they take that? I mean, sometimes I know, you know, working with kids myself, it sounds like it feels like they're not listening, mm-hmm. that they're not getting through, mm-hmm. that you're not getting through. But um, when when you give them those messages of support and you're and you're trying to show them, you know, the right way, um, what have you seen effective? What have you seen work with them? Hmm. Um, examples, just real life examples work, um, and pretty much for every situation, you can find an example of of it going well and it going bad. You get what I'm saying? And kind of explaining to them that first of all, actions have consequences. Um, so you might think that's cool now, but you know, if if it's something that's criminal or something that could get you possibly locked up, then it's going to catch up. With me. You get what I'm saying? So trying to have those conversations, trying to bring in people to speak to the kids that have had life experiences. You get what I'm saying? Uh, that's kind of the best way they need to kind of see that that this is um, that this is the outcome. This is what can happen. Um, you know, it doesn't reach every single kid, uh, but I think it reaches enough for a lot of times, especially even with high school, a lot of those messages you give them that you don't think stick with them, they do. Or a lot of times they'll realize it a couple years later and then they'll kind of reach out and be like, oh, you're right. It's like, we, we know. We, we've lived life. We, <laughs> yeah. we were 18 and we thought we knew everything in the world, but mm-hmm. but then you come to find out you don't. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's just having those conversations. Yeah. That's great. And uh, black men are, are standing in schools and society. Um I want, I'm going to ask you a question that came up in a doctoral class um, that I that I took um, that I think would be interesting to hear your response. Um, do you believe that schools impact society or that society impacts schools? Mm, that's a great question. I think the ideal would be schools impacting society, but the reality is society is impacting schools. And that just goes with a lot of when you see the the initiatives that are being taken where, you know, don't give a student a zero if they haven't turned in work or um, just that societal pressure of these kids, you know, you need to treat them differently than than how we were treated in school. You start to kind of see a lot of. a lot of issues arise or a lot of pressure uh, where there doesn't need to be pressure. And it, it you know, I saw a meme a, a while back and it was um, like back in the, in the early days when you would have the parent teacher conference and it would be like the parent agreeing with the teacher yeah. and getting on the student. And now it's like the parent gets on the teachers and you're like, you know, what's, what's, why is this happening like this now? Um, so yeah, I've, like I said, I wish it was, ideally it would be the first one, but right now we're in the latter, latter part where um, society kind of dictates society, you know, 
tries to come up with all of these reasons why teachers should deserve less or they should just do it out of passion and and that's not that's not reality like why are we the only profession where where we're kind of looked down upon like that oh you guys only work 10 months a year no we really don't work 10 months (laughs) a year um we're always working Mm -hmm. and if we just go by the time technically that we get paid if you did that we wouldn't be grading papers. We would have like, oh, there's a lot more, you know, we, we don't have a job where I can just go home and forget about my day. Like we're always thinking about what's next. What am I going to do next? How do I reach this kid? What's going on with this kid? Like we take our work home with us, just like a lot of um, a few other professions where it's, it's very different. Um, but yeah, society kind of shows us, what we value in, in terms of education. Yeah, for sure. I, um, I, I agreed with you as well. Uh, and my response is that I feel like society impacts schools as well. And um, <clears throat> you're obviously respected in your school and community. Um, and sometimes the journey one takes is untold. So we see someone in a position like a uh, social studies department chair or um, the president of your fraternity, and they don't know what it took, uh, the scars and the lumps, you know, that we've took, took, um, taken in this field over the course, even in 15 years now. So um, just talk to a minute about uh, the different challenges, um, the scars and the lumps that you've taken, you know, in the education field um, as you've navigated throughout your career. Um, scars and the lumps. Well, a lot of this stuff, and, and you learn this in leadership, or any time, like, I've always kind of naturally been a leader. And that, that's something that's always fought from elementary school. I was, like, one of the leaders in middle school. I was, like, band president in high school, saying, you know. Um, so that kind of always followed me. But what people don't see is is all of the work that it takes to get there. And that that's something I explain to my students a lot when it comes to, like, for instance, professional athletes. You see the end result. You see the game. You don't see... The fact that for hours and hours and hours, all they do is play that game. You know what I'm saying? All they do is perfect their craft. Um, and it's there's a lot of work that goes underneath it. So, you know, that whole analogy of like a swan, it looks like it's floating gracefully, but underneath it's like paddling really, really hard. That's, that's what it is. That's what leadership is. You're always working. You're always busy. Um, it's part of the, I guess the biggest sacrifice is time. Like a lot of the stuff... Um, being involved in organizations and and just trying to do perfect your craft, it just takes a lot of time. So I think that would be the biggest hit as far as anything else. But anything worth doing is going to take you a lot of your time. So I think that's been kind of the biggest thing. Um, yeah, I think that's been yeah. the, the biggest thing. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm going to do some rapid fire, but not so rapid fire, fill in the blanks, because some of them re- might require... Uh, some more, uh, some thought. Uh, the best thing about being a teacher is the students. Yeah. <laughs> the not so best thing about being a teacher is uh, the adults. <laughs> uh-huh. um, black males who want to be teachers should know that our kids need us. They need. They need to see that positive representation because a lot of times I know my school is a little different because we have a lot of African-American male teachers or, or black male teachers. Um, but to see that, you know, um, it's, it's important, you know, like, and it's just the little things. Like I like to come to work 
dressed in in shirt suspenders bow tie you know slacks and and i come dressed professionally and some of the kids are like well why are you you know this teacher's just wearing a polo or t-shirt and some jeans why are you dressed like this and i'm like this is my profession this is how you dress professionally um so a lot of those examples are like our young men need to see that because a lot of times they don't they don't until you know it's, it's too late yeah absolutely and uh my, my most memorable day in the classroom was <laughs> awesome. I've had a lot of those uh, most memorable day in the classroom I'll, I'll go with one um, one of my students he came he came to the class and he started crying and I'm like what's going on he was like oh I'm the first person in my family to get into college oh wow yeah wow. That, that was memorable Wow. That was memorable. Wow. There's nothing like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd like to close out this uh, podcast in a segment that I call Magic Wand. If you could wave your magic wand in education, uh, what would change? Why? <laughs> yeah, your magic wand. Um, if I had my magic wand, we would find better ways to hold both students and parents accountable. Um for their actions, because I think that's one of those things that have has kind of gotten flipped, like I kind of alluded to earlier, um, where we're not really holding the people that need to be held accountable accountable. And a lot of times that's the students and, and their parents. Um, that would probably be one of, one of the biggest things. And if I can get rid of social media altogether, <laughs> I think we would be in good shape. That would be a good thing to be magic one so, um, Mr. Fernandez, uh, I really want to thank you for taking the time, um, sharing your insight. Uh, I just wanted to let you know, as I let all my guests know uh, on this podcast, that as an educator, your voice has power. And, um, you know, I know that this platform will definitely benefit those teachers who, who listen to this, um, especially those teachers who want to get into the field, those prospective educators that will be listening to this podcast and listening to your voice. I think it's very powerful. Oh, so thank, thank you, you for so having much. me. Any impact I can make is awesome. <laughs> thank you so much. Right.